We're uh, finishing up this week and next week in our uh, series that we've called Rooted. And uh, what we've been trying to accomplish uh, in the last nine weeks is, uh, is, is the idea of what, where are our roots in our faith? Uh, w- what do we root ourselves in? How does God root us so that when life hits us, when life happens, when there are struggles and challenges and all of those things that we don't, uh, that we don't break, uh, that, that we don't give in, but that our roots are deep and regardless of what happens in our lives, that we stand firm, that we hold up. Uh, because our roots are deep in Christ. And so we've talked about some of the areas of, of uh, where we are rooted in our faith. And the first week we talked about the early church and the four things that grounded them, that rooted them in their faith. And it was the, the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and the prayers. And, and they were doing those things. They were continually devoted to those four things. And we talked about how we handle scripture and we talked about the fact that there's evil in the world and, and how you deal with uh, evil and the realness of that and the need to be prepared. We, uh, we talked about how we serve each other uh, and how we serve in the world. And we even talked about uh, money uh, last week. And this week, we're going to talk about something that's very, very important in our faith, something that's very important in, in how we live our lives. And, and the, the title of it is, is uh, Why and How uh, We Share. Uh, it, it's, we're going to talk about how we share our faith. We're going to talk about why we share our faith. And, and specifically, there are going to be three areas that we're going to focus on this morning. The first one is Jesus calls us into a mission, that we are all, uh, as followers of Jesus, we're all called into a mission. The second part is that he gives us a message for that mission. And finally, the third is that he gives us the power to complete the mission. So he calls us into a mission, he gives us a message uh, for that mission, and then he gives us the power to complete uh, the mission that he's called us into. And and those are things we're gonna talk about this morning, and really, we're just gonna simply go through the scripture. Uh, We're gonna talk uh, uh, about some passages, uh, some of them the direct words of Christ, and and, uh, in a little bit from the Apostle Peter, but we're going to talk about it, what it means to be people uh, who live with a mission. He, here's one of, the, one of the big pieces of it, and, and that's simply this, that God never calls us in without sending us out. So we talk about the, what it means to you know, belong to Christ, what it means to receive Christ. We, we use that terminology, uh, but the, also the truth is that God never calls us in without sending us out. If you read the Old Testament, you, you see where God called Moses in on a, at a burning bush, and, and then he sent him out, and, and God called Joseph uh, he, he called him through a dream and then he sent him to Egypt. And, and as you follow the scripture, you'll always see that, that God never calls us to himself without sending us out, that we are called to be on a mission, that that's part of our lives. It's part of what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus, that we're on a mission. And the, the first place that we want to look at this is in the Gospel of Luke, uh, verse t- uh, chapter 10, verses 1 to 3. Here's, here's the word of the Lord. And after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Well, here's the first thing that Jesus said. It says, after this, Jesus appointed uh, 72 others. And so one would ask, what, okay, what does that mean? In Luke 9, we have a story of Jesus sending out his disciples, and he gave them a, a message, and he sent them out, and he told them what he wanted to say, he told them what he wanted to do. And, and so if you just read ver- chapter 9 of Luke you would, and stop there, you would sort of naturally think, okay, that's the job of the professional guys. That's what you go to seminary for. That's what you get paid for. You get paid to go out there and, 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 and tell people about Jesus. You get paid to go out there and, and, and speak uh, for the Lord. But then uh, Jesus, in chapter 10 of Luke, he turns the tables a little bit and he says, after that, Then he took 72 others, 72 people who were part of his followers, 72 people, we have no idea their names or who they were, but he took 72 other people and now he sends them out. And often people have wondered why 72, what's magical about 72, why would you pick that number? And and here's um, the best explanation that we have is that the, the Old Testament that they read in the first century was called the Septuagint. It was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And in Genesis 10, uh, in that Septuagint, that Greek translation of the Old Testament, the, uh, there's a list of nations. In that list of nations, there are 72 nations that are listed. And so what we assume that Jesus is saying is that I'm calling you guys on a mission, that you're representing my mission to the whole world. That everywhere people are, we want the message to go out. Uh, We want people to hear about Jesus. So he sends out these 72 others, and he sent them on ahead of him, and he sent them two by two. And and this is really important to me because I'm way better with somebody with me, right? Uh, Sometimes when we think of just going out and, and we think of this whole idea of sharing our faith or witnessing or whatever, a lot of us come with baggage. A lot of us come with bad experiences, things that have been done, were done to us or things that we've feel like we've been told to do. And, and so we kind of carry that around with us. And, and this morning, as we consider this idea of, of why and how to share our, our faith, I, I would like to ask you to do me a favor and just sort of take off that baggage and, and leave that behind and consider maybe fresh what it means to be on a mission for Christ, what it means to share our faith, because Jesus uh, specifically did this. He, he, he commanded them to go, he sent them out, and he sent them out two by two because we're intended to do this work. We're intended to be on this mission with each other in community. We're not called to be the Lone Ranger. We're not called to go on our own necessarily, but we're called as part of a community to go in fellowship and, and go in community. So Jesus sends them out two by two, and then he says to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. And then verse three says, go your way. I love that. So he says, first, I want you to pray because the harvest field is plentiful. There are plenty of people that need to hear about me, Jesus says. The problem is people that will go. So I'm saying pray because the harvest is plentiful. Pray that there'll be a bunch of people to go. Oh, and by the way, it starts with you. You're going. I want you to go out there. 
that you're part of the answer to this prayer, that everybody's included. The harvest is plentiful, labors are few. Now go, go your way. And then he, he closes it with this. <laughs> and go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And thank you, Jesus, right? I mean, that's not exactly the big closer that I'm looking for. I'm thinking there's a better way to do this. I'm going to send you out like an army, great soldiers. I'm going to send you out and to conquer, to take the hill. To, and he says, I'm sending you out as lambs among the wolves. Why, why would Jesus say that? Here's what I'm convinced of this morning, is that he wants us to go in complete trust of him. He wants us to understand that it's not by our power It's not by how clever we are. It's not by how persuasive we are, but we go in the name of Jesus and we go trusting him. We go dependent on him. We're going places that maybe we would have never thought to go before, but we're going because Christ has called us. We're places where he has led us, where he has placed us, and we go in humility and confidence in him because of who he is. Because he's sending us into a dark and broken world And he says, I want you to be completely trusting in me. I want you to be completely dependent on me. Well, in Matthew 5, Jesus continues teaching us about this. And and this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall uh, its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is a really important passage for us. The very first thing Jesus says is that, that, you, uh, that you are the salt of the earth. Now, that may not mean a lot to us, but if you were living in the first century, it would mean a great deal to you there. You know, because they didn't, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have ways of keeping their lettuce crisp and their steaks from getting rotten. They would actually pound salt into the meat to preserve it. And so the very first thing, if you were said you were the salt of the earth, the very first thing that would occur to somebody in the first century is that they were there to preserve They were there to preserve life. They were there to come alongside people who are dying, come alongside people who are sick, who are poor, come alongside people who are hurting, and they came to preserve life, that when the gospel comes, when their lives would join their lives, that they were preserving agents. The second thing that they would know, and something that we all know, is that salt was used to enhance flavor. Some of us enhance our flavor a little too much, right? But salt was intended to enhance flavor, and so we put salt on things to to make them taste better for us. And you see, here's what Jesus is giving us a picture of, is that we live in this world that is desperately in need of flavor of life, that people have tried everything. They are going as fast as they can to find a new experience, to, to find a new high, to find something that will enhance the flavor of life. And they've tried so many things that life doesn't have any flavor anymore. Life is bland, and they're going for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And they try new relationships, and they try new jobs, and, and they try new ways to meditate themselves and they try all of these things because they're desperately looking for something that will give their life flavor and give their life meaning. 
And Jesus says it to you. You're the salt of the earth. That when you intersect with people, when you're pounded into the lives of people around you, that not only do you preserve life, but you enhance the flavor of life. You know, one of the great pictures of that is uh, in Acts, in the church in Antioch, we've talked about this before, that in Antioch is the place where people, where followers of Jesus were called Christians for the very first time. And it was because of their life. It was because of how they lived their lives. It was because of how they served the poor and the sick and how they came alongside people. And, and when the Greek-speaking people, when the Gentiles saw that, they started calling them Christians. They were the Christ ones. They looked like Jesus. And that's what he's saying. That's how we add flavor to life, is that we let people experience Jesus. But he says this, that if your life has lost its saltiness, what's it good for? It's just, in fact, it's not, not just neutral, but it's harmful. One of the things that the Roman soldiers were known for is when they conquered a country, they would sow salt into the fields of that country. It would poison the ground uh, so they couldn't grow crops. And if you can't grow your own crops, then you're dependent on somebody else to provide that food for you. And so the Romans would use that as a tool, as a vehicle to keep um, people from uprising and keep people from rebellion and, and riots because they were dependent on them for their food. Jesus is saying here that if you've lost your, fl- your flavor, what, what are you good for? Uh, another thing that he's saying here is how we live matters. That it's n- not just about what we talk about, but it's about how we live our lives. D- does, our, does our message and our life match up Would people hear us talk and say, but I don't see that in their life. I'm not experiencing that in their life. In fact, there's one famous quote uh, that that says, um, I I can't hear what you're saying because your life is speaking so loudly to me. That sometimes our lives are so loud, our lives are so counter to the message that we carry that people can't hear it because those things don't match up. And if we're to be the salt of the earth, if we be that which preserves and enhances flavor, then it's how we live as well as what we say. That makes it a little harder, doesn't it? Makes it a little bit more challenging that we need to be aware that not only are we talking about Jesus, but we're a picture of who Jesus is to the people that we come in contact with. He says, you're uh, the salt, or you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. Uh, Another aspect of life in the first century was that they didn't have electricity, clearly. They didn't have lights. And so when it got dark, it was really dark. And their lamps were basically little bowls, um, little, little containers that you would put oil in and a wick and you would light that wick and you would put it in a prominent place in your house and it would give light uh, to the house. That's how they lit their homes at night. That was how they could see uh, their way around was by those lamps. And Jesus said, wouldn't it be absurd if you lit a lamp and then you put a basket over it so nobody could see it so you're in the dark again? Why, why would you do that? He says, you know, you're the light of the world and people are looking for a light. People are looking uh, for Jesus. They don't always know it's Jesus they're looking for, but they're looking. And they see a light and they're drawn to that light and collectively, Jesus says, we're the light of the world. 
We're a lamp that's set on a lampstand so that people can see their way to Jesus, that we are people who point the way to Christ by how we live our lives. We're salt of the earth and we're a light to the world that we're the pathway for people to see Jesus. They're gonna see him, they're gonna experience him through not just what we say, but how we live. So we talk about our testimony, we talk about our witness, we talk about our faith, that it is both in word and deed. It's not just about what we say, that's really important, but it's about how we live our lives. Do what I say and not what I do just doesn't cut it, does it? It just doesn't work. But it's about how we live. It's, it's about the idea of, of that I am all in for Christ. I belong to him. I live for him. I trust him because of what Jesus has done in my life, what he's done for me. And as we live a life that's all in for Christ, it's contagious. In Acts 2, we look at the early church and, and we see at verse 47 down there that, that numbers were added uh, every day to those who were being brought to Christ. And, and it was out even having the New Testament. It was out without having a complete Bible. But what they did is that they lived together in community, that they loved each other, that they were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And it was so contagious, it was so powerful that every day people said, I want whatever it is that you have. How do I get in? How does this become part of my life? And so here's what I want you to, to think about this morning, that I am not gonna give you a list of behaviors that's gonna make you a better person, but what I am gonna say is it's about our own personal life in Christ. It's about recognizing what Christ, who Christ is, what he's done for us, and it's out of our love for Christ, it's out of our gratitude for what he's done for us that we live our lives, and our lives make a difference. They really do. It really matters how we live and we're living word indeed. Well, we have some words from the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3, 15 to 16. Let me read these for us. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I love this. Um, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's where it starts. Honor Christ. How does our life honor Christ? How is it genuine? Because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done in our lives. And, and then he says um, that always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Sometimes this word defense sort of captures us and, and we think, oh man, I'm, I'm not a good debater. I'm not good at arguing. Uh, I, I'm not, I, can't, I can't defend the, the faith like other people do. And we use that as a reason to hold back. We use that as a reason not to, to share. And, and, and I don't think that's all of what Peter's talking about because what he says is be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason 
uh, ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So here's what Peter is saying. He says, first and foremost, you live a life that's holy. You live a life that belongs to Jesus. And then he says, second, you have a story, what Christ has done in your life, and nobody can take your story away from you. Nobody can debate your story. Nobody can argue your story. It's what Christ has done in your life. And be prepared uh, to defend that story. Be prepared to stand on what Christ has done in your life. And then there are also times where people ask us questions and people ask us for, you know, um, why do we believe this and is this real and how did we get the Bible and all, all of those kinds of questions and, and, and Peter is saying have a, have a defense for those things but, but here's what I, I want to help you with. Some people love to study what we call apologetics. Those are, that's how, you know, defend the faith and, and, and that's a huge thing for, for them and some people are a little intimidated by it but here, here's what I would encourage you um, this morning is if somebody asks you about those things, somebody, you know, how did you get the Bible? How do you know it's true? You know, would, why would God send anybody to hell? Or whatever it is that people ask you and you feel like I'm not good at defending my faith. Here, here's what I would encourage you to do is to simply ask them this. Would you read a book with me? I don't know all the answers. I, I, I'm not a Bible scholar and, and, and I'm not good at these kind of arguments, but here's what I could do with you. I could read a book with you. And there are some great books on how, you know, the meaning of our faith and, and our apologetics are uh, the proof of the resurrection and all of those things. And, and wouldn't it be great if, if we just simply said, you know what, I'm not great at that, but could we just read a book together? And uh, we'd have some, we have some great books out there uh, that, that I think would be very, very helpful. Uh, you know, one of the great things that I get to do periodically, I had a um, couple of families here that um, w- one family ha- had a nine-year-old girl who was really smart, really um, thoughtful, and, and she kept asking them questions. And they got really tired of saying, I don't know. So they, they finally said to her, look, write down all your questions and let's go see Pastor Larry and we'll do a field trip. And so she wrote down all of her questions and they came into my office and we talked about everything from how we got the Bible to dinosaurs and all this stuff. We had this great time and her parents sat in there with her and they were, they were taking notes, you know, and, we, and it was a, a great deal. And so if you have any nine-year-olds in your life who are asking questions you can't answer, just call. We'll, let's get together. That'd be great. I would love to be part of that because I, I love getting time like that with kids. But the point is, you don't have to be the Bible answer man, but you have to be committed to who Christ is in your life and recognize the fact that even if you don't have the answers, that that doesn't stop. That that let's just sit down. Would you read a book with me? Let's explore this together. Let's find out together what the Bible is really all about. You know, it was interesting because... uh, we, we, again, I think we talked about this before, but George Barna, this research group, a survey group, did a, a survey a while back, and they discovered that two-thirds of the people who didn't go to church today would have gone if somebody they trusted asked them. How about that? Two-thirds, two-thirds of the people who aren't in church today would have come if somebody they trust asked them. I think we have a really good website. We have a great website, but it's not as good as you inviting somebody to come and see. It's not as good as having someone that people trust, someone that they believe in, to invite them to come and see. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do. 
Well, finally, in Matthew 28, one of the famous passages about our role, Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, it says this, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now I'm gonna stop there just for a quick second because I love this. If you were writing a myth, if you were writing a a, a book and trying to convince people of a myth, of something that didn't really happen, but you're weaving a story, you just wouldn't put a verse like that in there, right? You would have simply said, they all saw Jesus, the resurrected Christ, and they worshiped him, yay. Yay for us, right? You wouldn't have admitted that some doubted. But see, I love this because we all come sort of with who we are and we have days when we're just fired up and we have days when we have some doubts that life has been hard and either way we get to come to Jesus and here's what, and here's what the passage says, that they still worshiped him. Even in their doubt, they worshiped him and out of worship grows faith. Out of worship grows confidence because it's pointing us toward Jesus. It's reminding us of who he is, of how great he is. So they worshiped him, but some doubted. In verse 18, it says this, and Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, great line. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I'm pretty sure that covers everything, right? He has all authority. You might have a little authority in your house. Some of you have less than you think. But Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Everything comes under him. After the cross and the resurrection, everything comes under Jesus. And so he says, all authority has been given to me. So I got a word for you here. Go. Jesus says it like this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus says, go. Now, the, the language in the Greek is really interesting in this because he's, he's commanding us to go, but the tense says that Jesus is saying, as you go or wherever you go. So he, he's saying, you know what, as, as you go, wherever that is, as you go to work, as you go to school, uh, as you go to play, uh, as you go to the movies, whatever it is, wherever you go, I want you to make disciples. I want you to always have that in your mind because you never know when there's gonna be a holy encounter. You never know when there's gonna be an opportunity uh, to speak for Christ. You never know whose life you're gonna influence. So he says, as you go in life or wherever you go, make disciples, followers of Christ, It's the focus is on Jesus. The focus isn't on us convincing people uh, about a better life and the focus isn't on convincing people that they need to follow our rules, but the focus is on we're, we're making followers of Jesus. We're calling people, we're encouraging people, we're modeling for people what it means uh, to follow Jesus. He says, "Go, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is a really great practical thing for us because one of the things that Jesus 
Jesus is saying is that when people get baptized, they're making a, they're firming a commitment in their lives saying, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. I'm going to identify with Christ. I'm going to publicly declare that I'm a follower of Jesus. So when we do baptisms here in the church, we always tell folks that this is the moment that you are publicly declaring in front of your family and friends and the Lord that you are choosing to follow Jesus, uh, that you are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come and you're publicly standing for Christ. And in the first century, not only was it a risky thing to do and a bold thing to do, because it could cost you your life, but it was important to say, I identify with Christ. I, I talk to kids all the time who say, I, I don't really know, I'm not really sure when I invited Christ in my life because I've always grown up in the church. And, and I said, well, you know what, that's okay, that's fine with me, but when did you get baptized? That's what I want you to write in the flap of your Bible. I want you to, I want you to write down the day that you publicly stood and declared to your community and to your family that you were gonna follow Jesus, that your life was committed to him, to identify with Jesus. And so he says, go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So what are we to teach them? All that Jesus commanded. They didn't have the New Testament then, but I know a couple of things that they taught. I know a couple of things for sure that they taught because one time, uh, a, a, one time a, a religious leader came to Jesus and he asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And you know what Jesus said? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. That's the great commandment. And if you obey that, you're really covering pretty much everything. You're not in conflict with any law. He said, here's where I want you to start. When you teach them all that I've commanded you, I want you to start with this. I want you to start with the idea that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we're all in, that we're not holding anything back, that we belong to Jesus, that we were once lost and now we're found. We were once living in darkness, now we live in the light, that we belong to him and we're not holding anything back. Lord, I belong to you and I live my life for you. And we love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus told us in John 13, again, he said to us, you know, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. He says this again, but it's not so new because here's what he says. I want you to love one another the way I've loved you. So if we were to do those two things and if we were to teach those two things, that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbors, we love those around us the way that Jesus has loved us, he says, you've got to start. Teach them that. Start there. He said, first, live that, and then teach them that. That's what I've commanded you to do. That's what I want you to do. That's what I want your life to look like. It doesn't sound really complicated, but it, if you're trying it, you know how hard it is, right? <laughs> it's an old saying, if it wasn't important, it'd be easy. But that's how we start. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and then to love others as Christ has loved us. Can we just start there? Give our lives to that and teach that to other people. And then the final thing that he says, because he's given us a command, he's told us the message, how to do it, and, and, and then he, he says this, and I'm gonna be with you always. I'm never gonna let you go. I, I'm never gonna change my mind. I'm gonna be with you always, even to the end of the age. 
I'm pretty sure that's a long time. But you belong to me, and I love you. I love you so much that I, I gave my life for you. I gave everything that I had for you. That's how important you are to me. And I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. But I'm with you to the end of the age. So how, how does our life become a, a witness for the Lord? We know that we're called to go. He calls us in so he can send us out. In the New Testament, this word sent is missio. And it, we get our word mission from it. He says, I've called you in so I can give you a mission to go into the world, to disciple, to make disciples of all nations, showing them what it means to follow Jesus and then telling them how they can have Christ in their own lives. Well, I've got an example that sort of ties all of that stuff together for us this morning that gives us an, an incredible picture of that. I'm gonna ask you to watch a video with me, but I do wanna say just in preface that, that, that the the, this is a video is Dick and Kim Schott who are, they're nine o'clockers. And uh, just in case you miss it uh, on the video, Dick was diagnosed with uh, ALS in this last year. And um, they um, wanted to share a little bit.